And I just love the program so much. It focuses not necessarily on the business results, which are very important, or the outcomes, but personal happiness. You're listening to Heroes of Healthcare, the podcast that highlights bold, selfless professionals in the healthcare industry focused on transforming lives in their communities. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Heroes of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Ted Wayne. On today's episode, I'm joined by a dynamic young hospital executive, Jordan Voigt. Jordan is the CEO of Genesis Medical Center in Davenport, Iowa. Jordan directs day-to-day operations of the health system's largest entity, a 502-bed medical center with two campuses, overseeing 450 physicians, 3,000 staff, and over 1,000 volunteers, Jordan brings a unique blend of execution and leadership to the role. Prior to COVID, Jordan and Genesis were featured in a Harvard Business Review article about the power of positivity. We'll discuss with Jordan how he used the happiness advantage and the orange frog, yes, you heard right, the orange frog, to help the staff get through some dark days. Join me in welcoming Jordan Voigt to the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jordan. It's great having you here. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, let's dive right in. I would love to ask you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background, how you got to Davenport and the medical center, and what has led you into the passion of medical profession. Yeah, well, thanks again, Ted, for having me here. Jordan Voigt, president at Genesis Medical Center Davenport. We're a licensed 502-bed facility that serves eastern Iowa, western Illinois, and we're part of Genesis Health System, which is a five-hospital nonprofit health system covering, again, eastern Iowa, western Illinois. So we're, quote-unquote, the mothership of the health system, and we're here to meet the tertiary care needs. So my day-to-day job responsibilities are the quality, the safety, strategic growth, financial management, employee engagement and physician engagement. So it's a dynamic day, day in and day out. And I've been the president here at the medical center for six years and at the health system for a little over 10 years. That's awesome. That's awesome. And what made you decide to get into medicine and what was your education? And, and you know, for some of the listeners to become a CEO of a hospital is probably a little bit different path than a CMO who is coming through the medical track. So if you don't mind, share a little bit about that and, and how, you, how you got into this role of being CEO. Yeah, happy to. I went to Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois for undergraduate degree. And in that experience, I did a couple different internships, uh, one in retail, one in logistics, one in supply chain. And I didn't feel like I hit my niche or hit my stride. And while I was serving on the alumni board as a student member at Augustana College, I met at the time former CEO of Northwestern University Medical Center in Chicago. And then also Cottage Health System out in Santa Barbara, California. And they said, Jordan, you have to look at healthcare administration. I said, Well, what's healthcare administration? So I have that running through back of my head. And then at the same time, unfortunately, my grandfather was passing away at Cottage Hospital in Galesburg, Illinois. And I was there and in the room, and I saw a number of gentlemen walking through with suits. And I said to my dad, What what are they doing? And he said, Oh, this is regulatory. They're always coming in hospitals. And I said, Well, who runs the hospital? He talked about the balance of the medical staff and administration. I said, well, that seems pretty neat. And I'll never forget. He rubbed his forehead. He said, Jordan, you never want to do that job. There's never enough resources and a lot of stress <laughs> and demands. 
And then one thing led to next and then did a number of interviews with local healthcare CEOs to learn more about hospital administration. And the economy was real bad. Graduated undergrad in 2009. So 2008 was a challenge coming out in the workforce. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to graduate school. So applied to a number of different programs and was blessed to get into University of Alabama at Birmingham. So went down there for two years. It's a three-year program, two years academic and then one year fellowship and did a summer internship at Northwestern in Chicago, and then did the fellowship here at Genesis, and one thing led to the next. So it's always a dynamic day and very interesting yeah. each well, day. Well, we don't, we always, uh, the, the path we end up traveling is never, is very rarely the path we thought we would end up on, right? Exactly. And what's even more fascinating, my mom was a teacher, dad was a banker, and I have two younger sisters, twin sisters, Katie and Emily, and one, both of them work in healthcare. We all do. One works for Intuitive Da Vinci yeah. Robotic Sales, and then the other one, is a physician assistant at Northwestern Hematology Oncology. So it's always interesting. We get around the table for a Thanksgiving meal because one's clinical bedside, one's a sales rep, and I'm administration. So we always jokingly love to point right. the finger right. uh, at always, each other. You're always the problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. awesome. So I guess, where did you grow up? Grew up in Bedendorf, Iowa. So not okay. too far from here. And even though I love the Quad Cities, I didn't have any intention to come back here and love the South, uh, living in Birmingham, Alabama. But it was a good opportunity for the Administrative Fellowship and just have been here ever since. That's great. It's great that you're there. And I'm sure they appreciate everything that you're doing. So one of the things I wanted to spend some time talking about, and we'll kind of jump into everybody's favorite topic, not COVID uh, and what's going on. And now that we're Coming back around again, I guess some people are calling it the third wave, some people are calling it the fourth wave. So we could talk a little bit more about that and how that's impacting Genesis and Davenport. But I love this article that came out last summer from Harvard Business Review around optimism. So before we get to some of the doom and gloom, let's talk about some optimism here and and what you did there to kind of help turn around the morale of the hospital and the system. So if you don't mind, do you mind summarizing kind of that, what happened, that situation? Genesis was facing some difficult times and, and you decided to take a little different approach. Yeah, thanks, Ted. Always enjoy and passionate speaking about optimism and positivity. But it was back in 2017, I became president of the hospital. It was right around 2014. And so we were a couple years in and financially challenged here at the health system. And so we were going through some budgetary constraints and had to reduce cost pressures and the same time, working on employee engagement, and I'm always passionate on not only employee, but physician engagement, and was blessed enough that with our manager of the Cancer Center, Joel Moore, who does a great job, found this book called Happiness Advantage. And Happiness Advantage, if you have not read it, is an outstanding book by Sean Aker, and it's all about creating social connections, improving positivity, optimism. How do you connect, have the same vision how do you change the context of your lens? You know, my favorite quote from Sean Aker's research is 90% of your long-term happiness is based on your perception of events and 10% are external events that are caused upon you. And so it's all, how do we change the context of our lens? So senior leadership team, we read this book, Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker. And after that, we found out there's a parable or a training course and methodology deemed orange frog. And so it's all about different frogs in different ponds. And the one pond is an outlier pond. 
happy. There's another pond, neutral pond, and the negative pond. And it's all about how you want to move towards the happiness pond and how teamwork can take you there. And so we did the training through International Thought Leader, and it's an eight-hour training course. So all the GMC Davenport management team members, we went through that this, and then we rolled it out to the entire workforce. And so we had about 1,200 staff members go through this training. Unfortunately, during COVID, we had to pause because it's an in-person eight-hour training. But excited and thrilled, we did the training, and then we did uh, training within our physician engagement team and physician frontline staff members as well. And so we actually took a survey four weeks prior to the training and then four weeks post-training. It's been unbelievable, the results. And Ted, I believe that's what you're referencing, the Harvard Business Review. Heard about our story and published the results on changing the optimism. So when we're cost-cutting, fortunately, we all had mandatory PTO. We had to cut benefits, change the cost structure organization. And in the midst of that transformation, there was improved levels of happiness, improved levels of optimism about the organization. And it's all how we change the context of our lens. So every training class that we held, I would personally kick it off and go around the room and do names and introductions. And we'd usually do a class of 25 to 30 individuals. And in that discussion, we always talk about how powerful would it be if we all came to the medical center with a positive attitude and what we could do together. And one little side story, and my team members would laugh if they heard me talk about this, but I don't like the heat and I'm wearing a suit right now and it's a little warm today. But before the training, I'd walk outside and say, geezy, I'm in my suit. I'm already sweating. I'm driving in. I need to get to air conditioning. Now, after the training, I walk outside. I say, wow, it's a little warm, but it's a beautiful day. And I tell the team, if we all 1,500 of us coming to the medical center had that same change in attitude. What could we do together? Same with the physicians. How can we all work together? So there's so many stories, and I could go on and on about it, but it's really changed the culture here at the medical center. And then the health system has adopted these principles, and we'll be starting up training as well. Well, I, I love that, and I love everything about optimism. As, as a young college graduate, somebody had given me this, the book, it's an old book classic by Napoleon Hill, but success through a positive mental attitude. And that was a big change, you know, big change for myself in terms of how you approach things and, and, how, and how you do things. I think mm -hmm. I remember I saw one of the pieces was the reduction in stress during that period of time went from 11% down to 6% with some of the statistics out of the report. And while I know the report and, th and that instance of that period of time that Genesis was going through that, if I'm correct, that was pre-COVID that you guys were doing that. Correct. So I have to believe, and I'd love you to, to tell us a little bit more, but how did that unknown readiness of this kind of disposition you were encouraging the team and the staff to do, how do you think that helped you get through the COVID situation? Did you see that th those tools that were brought on you know, by the happiness advantage really carried you guys through the, the tough times of COVID? Yeah, exactly. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. In fact, in such dire straits, taking care of the COVID patients and want to recognize the frontline staff members here and all their hard work and going above and beyond. But there were a little bright spots of happiness. So for instance, we have tube systems that we use to move pharmaceutical agents throughout the medical center. And one staff member thought it'd be a fun idea, and it was a great idea, put an orange frog in there and sent it to every unit. So when the orange frog got to the orthopedic unit, the ortho staff put a little cast on it and then moved it to the surgical specialty unit and they put a little catheter on the orange frog and then the OB unit. And so every unit customized it or we'd walk through the medical center and the orange frogs, we literally have orange frogs all around, 
have a little mask on the orange frog. And there are bright spots of happiness. We have these orange frog capes for pediatric patients before they go back for surgery. And so in the midst of chaos, sometimes unhappiness, anxiety, to see a little child smile walking down the hallway, even with the mask on, but having the cape. There's so many stories of positivity and bright spots. And frankly, it's brought the physician administration relationship closer because we even have some physician providers that will say to their colleague, hey, that wasn't a very orange comment. So respectfully calling them out saying that wasn't a very positive comment. How can we change the context of our lens or see it differently? Yeah, uh, man, I love that. I love that when you can bring something into the work world that provides that common language, that taxonomy, you know, that ability to just say something as simple as that wasn't very orange. And everybody goes, okay, I know what you're talking about. And they're probably sitting there going, yep, you're right. That wasn't very orange of me. And I've got to change my disposition. Exactly. And I just love the program so much. It focuses not necessarily on the business results, which are very important, or the outcomes, but personal happiness. So there was a story, I was kicking off a session, this was a couple of years ago, and there was a gal coming in and during the introductions and her mascara was running and she seemed stressed. And I said, ma'am, do you need a moment? Do you need to step out? And she said, no, I've heard so much about this and I need this for my personal happiness. I worked 12 hour shift yesterday. I'm a single mom, newly divorced, and I've been up all night with two teething kids, but I knew I needed to come here because I'm so appreciative of the organization investing wow. in me as a person. I need this for my own personal happiness. And so it's just evolved over time. And in fact, it changes my personal habits. So every medical staff member's birthday, I write them a little birthday card. And there's this cute happiness that goes on front with an orange frog. And there's so many different husbands or wives that will stop me out in the community and say, hey, thanks for taking time to write a card. But more importantly, it forced a conversation at home when I said, hey, what's this card? And why is there an orange frog coming from the hospital? And it forces that medical staff member to smile and chuckle and tell the story about what Genesis is doing about positivity and the journey they're on. And it's really involved in our overall community as well. Well, it's 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 awesome. And that and that's what you know, I love the fact that you point that out, because it's amazing the reach hospital systems in the community, how the impact they have on the community and how they can be such a an outreach is there as well. You know, sometimes I think we think it's behind those four walls of the hospital and that's where everything happens. But a lot of the public service things, little things like this that you can create that become part of your mm-hmm. culture has, you know, long, long reaching tentacles that we don't even always realize or see. Exactly. And we've been blessed with us rolling out the Happiness Advantage Orange Frog Initiative. The local school district has gotten on board and trained wow. all their teachers and faculty and bus drivers and others. And Even the local police department rolled it out, Davenport Police and Junior Achievement. So other businesses have as well. That's amazing. That's that's awesome. That's great. So obviously, the as you guys rolled this out and you saw it coming through, it it obviously sustained people to get through the covid situation, the covid challenges and whatnot. Tell me a little bit about let's back up and go to kind of first wave, you know, summer of 2020, spring, summer of 2020. When was Iowa really big impact? You know, each part of the country had their different kind of spike periods. And, you know, it started in Oregon was real big in the West. And then it, you know, kind of popped up in different places. But last summer, last fall, what was the what was the dynamic like in Davenport? It was really in the fall where it really took off here. I think we got a high up to about 120 COVID positive patients. And again, want to recognize and all the effort goes to our physician team members and frontline staff 
we're blessed enough. We love the motto here, physician-led, professionally managed. So when COVID hit, we wanted the clinical key decision makers making the guidelines and policies and procedures for the institution. So we set up a COVID-19 physician executive committee. So the president of medical staff, the chief medical officer here, and myself helped lead this committee. So we had about 12 key physicians on the committee with administrative and clinical team members that would make all of our policies and procedures because we were in uncharted territories in regards to appropriate PPE and guidance and staffing guidance because unfortunately we had to double room patients here and our medical pulmonary staff really stepped up to the plate and did a phenomenal job. But it was it was eye-opening. I'll never, never forget on a Friday afternoon when we had to make the call to double room patients because we have all single occupancy patients. Didn't think that was fair to put it on the frontline staff. So the chief medical officer and myself went in to each individual patient's room to tell them that he or she was going to have a roommate because we were out of space and out of beds and we were putting two beds in each room. And I'll never forget how gracious and complimentary the patients were of the frontline staff members here at Genesis, how thankful they said, understand, you know, I realize I don't want a roommate, but I don't want to go anywhere. The care is outstanding here, and I appreciate all that you're doing. And again, all the credit goes to the frontline staff and the physician teams. But it was eye-opening, Ted, just seeing COVID patients on the TV, yeah. TV, but actually being in the rooms, communicating with them, and your heart goes out because they can barely breathe, and they're just so focused on breathing. It's something I'll never forget. Yeah, no, this, these last few years, have we've seen positive things that have come out of them and, and things like that, but definitely we've all experienced different mm -hmm. trials during these times that we didn't, we probably never even thought of or could imagine, but yet here we were in the, in the, in the middle in the middle of it. So you get through, you kind of get through the fall, you're kind of doubling up, and then we get into January. How did you guys partner with, so even during the crisis, and then we can lead right into a little bit as vaccinations start to come out, how have you guys been partnering with the community, right? So we talked about that community involvement. During the crisis, were you guys bringing in, you know, the, the mayor and the different municipal support systems as part of that total plan? Yeah, and we were fortunate to have a team approach, even with the local competitor in the market, Unity Point, and collaborated with them and our Quad City community, which is it's called Quad Cities, but actually made up of five cities, had a COVID-19 coalition committee made up of physician members to really guide the overall community. So I appreciate the team approach, and we were on the same page with the competitor here. So one institution intentionally or unintentionally didn't have an edge over the others, whether who's doing surgery, who's not. And we had a team approach, and we would roll out consistent message, and it still stays the same today of need to vaccinate to improve. You know, it's it's sad and it's unfortunate, Ted, we even have patients coming into the medical center and we have about 24 COVID positive patients here today, of which about seven in the intensive care unit. But patients come here, they say, hey, I'm COVID positive. I don't feel well. I need to come to the hospital. Can I have the vaccine now? And so our frontline clinicians have done a nice job educating that right. should have been done previously. There's nothing we can do for you now except the same standard of care here at the institution or every other hospital once you're COVID positive and you're seeking medical intention. So it kills me to hear about the regret of some individuals, and that's why we're passionate on advocating for vaccine adherence. And in fact, we rented uh, the former Dick's Sporting Good location. The Genesis Health Group staff members did a great job having a vaccination, a mass vaccination clinic. And so on a positive note, we've seen an uptick 
I believe last weekend we had over 200 individuals walk in for COVID-19 vaccination. So we had a lull, but now with the Delta variant, I think overall the general feel there, people are getting a little nervous and want to seek the vaccination because there's proven evidence behind it. Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, and I, I, you and I mentioned that there was a great article in the Atlantic and they were talking about the hubris of the American population and how those who didn't get it or weren't affected by it, asymptomatic, whichever, who knows what they were, this on the first big wave of it, felt that they didn't need to get vaccinated because obviously it didn't touch them. But then here it is again, and it's coming back around again, and and some people are being are being touched. And you know, I'm sure I'm sure when we look back, there's probably there's not going to be one family in the United States or around the world who doesn't have a story about how this impacted them or they knew somebody or 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 so on. So yeah, but that that education just continues to to show itself. You know, unfortunately, there continues to be misinformation in the market. We live in an era of that. But as you said, that story of somebody coming in and saying, I, th- I have it and I'm ready for the vaccine, thinking that's just going to fix it. It's sad mm-hmm. because it, obviously they believed that, you know, I'll wait. If I get it, I'll get the vaccine. And if I don't get it, I'll be OK. And but there's a there's a there's a disconnect there. So that's that is that is unfortunate. And so on. If I could just add to that, and then the poor little kids in the community too, under the age of 12, not eligible for the vaccination. And personally, we, my wife and I have a four-year-old, two-year-old and 10-month-old. And so I always try to be safe when out and about and wearing masks and mitigate the amount in enclosed public setting area. But you feel for all of them too and nervous about schools. Yeah, right. Coming. So I was just going to ask that. So here in the South where we're located, schools are starting and have started and they're kicking back into gear. I guess, in, as to hear what you said, Davenport, you guys haven't started yet. But what is Iowa's kind of, what are you hearing? Are they, are they going to mandate masks? Are they going to say no mask? We hear in Florida, they don't want, you know, they're saying no masks. You, and in some places there, it's, it's, it's fluid, right? It's changing every day. It's fluid here as well. I know the governor did send out a mandate about no mask within the education setting. And I know individual school districts are discussing. So I think we're on the similar page as what I'm hearing in Florida or other areas. And so I think every family is discussing personal choices based on those within the government making official decisions. And have they talked, this is a thing that just popped into my head and I haven't read anything about it. Have they talked about the parent's option? In other words, if you if uh, you and your wife said we're not comfortable sending our kids back with no masks obviously i would think if they wanted to wear a mask it could be mask optional but if they're saying no no masks and you do say then i'm going to go back to the homeschooling situation right now are the schools saying they're they're allowing that choice that's a good question i believe so said but we're my wife and i personally are a little more focused on the pre-k so within the pre-k we're fortunate and blessed that they they encourage the mask wearing so we feel better that way but that's a good question i'm not too sure about the overall school district you know last year everybody said you know when they came back it was optional if you're still not feeling safe about it keep your kids home and do homeschooling and do that but now that they're trying to push everybody but i know i also read i think the arkansas governor his name is blanking me out he's rolling back his position he says i wish i hadn't i hadn't pushed so hard for the no masks he's now saying let's start masking up again so well that's Good to hear, because I even know state in Arkansas and even Missouri have been calling up to the state of Iowa looking for medical bed placements for COVID-19 patients because they're just overwhelmed within their own 
healthcare yeah. systems locally. Yeah. So we're living we're living an interesting time. So you said at the height of the fall of COVID, you guys had 120. And you said right now correct. you're, you said it, I, I forget what number. Right around 24, okay. I believe the correct number, of which seven are in the ICU. So you still have that very concerning critical right. care patient, have ventilators. Mm-hmm. But everything. and has it stopped? Have you guys started? But yeah, I assume you had started back into the surgeries and things like that. And right now, those are not being impacted. You're still able to keep all the services open? Correct. I would say it's touch and go every day or even in the evening. We're planning. Fortunately or unfortunately, no one has necessarily an elective surgery. So you need heart surgery. You need the total joint has been going a year plus. But we are just collaborating much more, planning for bed. How do we make it work? We're asking staff members in procedural areas to even pick up in other areas within the medical center. And we're mm-hmm. just trying to balance all of it. Yeah, well, that's it, right? And and because you don't know what tomorrow will bring, all of a sudden there's another surge, and that changes that changes everything. So it is a, yeah. it is a day by it is a day by day sort of situation. So what in terms of from your guys planning for the remaining part of the year, is it just a day by day thing, or what are you guys what are you guys trying to see? For the remaining part of this year day by day overall but our number one focus here at the health system is recruitment and retention of current staff members and really focus on culture positivity the orange frog initiative market and we're blessed to have amazon come in the community and uh-huh. i say blessed with a little hesitation because that's a thousand jobs minimum starting wage is 16 dollars an hour paid paternity maternity leave that's a challenge when you have wide varying wage rates here within the organization at the medical center to compound that there's a nursing shortage here we have 25 international nurses that are in the process of coming here unfortunately about three-fourths of those 25 nurses have their visas being held up at the local embassies internationally. So we're working on that. We're working on retaining staff because staff members see very large bonuses out there, $20,000 sign-on bonuses, $10,000, $8,000. said, what are you doing to keep me? And so we work, we're doing appreciation events. We did a little appreciation bonus for frontline staff members here as well, increasing market pay. We've increased incentive pay. We're spending significant amounts on incentive pay, uh, mandatory overtime, premium pay here within the medical center. And so we're just trying to balance it to get through because our board, rightfully so, holds us very high standards on quality and safety. And we're blessed to be named top 15 health system two times in a row here at Genesis. So we're focused on quality and safety, but our key initiatives, number one, recruitment retention, number two, quality and safety, and then number three, the patient experience. And that's really our key focus areas for this entire year. Well, that's great. Well, obviously getting that award twice is shows that you guys are focused on the right things because it's, it's paying off. Talk to me a little bit about thoughts within the administration on mandates. We're hearing that too with the vaccination mandate. And it's a fine line, right? Because we want the health and safety, as you talked about. So we want to, you know, one side of the brain says, let's mandate so we ensure health and safety. The other side says, if I do that, I may lose people, right? There's And right now, as you said, we're trying to recruit. The last thing I want to do is, is evoke a policy that might have us lose headcount. Yeah. Uh, Timely question, Ted, because we just announced uh, (laughs) last week we'll be requiring it by November 8th for all team members. And so overall at the health system level, we're about 70% vaccinated. However, that's an overall number. We have some departments that are 100% vaccinated. We have some departments that are 84% non-vaccinated. 
And so you look at one area, sterile processing, we've worked so hard on strategic growth, OR recruitment retention for staff members, but our second shift sterile processing, uh, we have some challenges in regards to vaccination rates. So the last thing we want to do is have people go into final level of corrective action. We're not terming people, but they go in the final level. However, the final level means no merit increases, unable to advance from your position. So it's real unfortunate. So we're trying to work. And again, we take the philosophy physician-led professionally managed with our medical directors, physician leaderships to go down and meet with staff members. So we're blessed to have Dr. Christofferson, a general surgeon that met with the OR staff members. Staff members were pushing back and saying, why, why require it? And he says, well, why not? Give me a reason why not. And same with uh, Vice President of Medical Affairs met with the sterile processing department. And there's so much misinformation out there. They're quoting areas from Facebook and through the misinformation and educate. But we also have a process for those individuals that might have some varying religious beliefs that they can go in front of a physician committee and make an argument within their case. So it's a hot topic. And unfortunately, we might lose a couple staff members. But long term, I think it's the right route to go. I'll give you an example, Ted. I just anytime I get the patient compliment or patient complaint to my personal cell phone or voicemail here at the office, I always take time to call that individual back. They called back last week. It was a beautiful patient compliment of an orthopedic procedure and love the staff and everything. And she said, well, Jordan, since I have you on the phone, I just want to share one piece of information. I said, well, what's that? Well, my 92-year-old grandfather was there and uh, the staff member's mask kept falling down below the nose. And I said, do you mind putting your mask up? And by the way, are you vaccinated? And the staff member said, no, I'm not vaccinated. And she kind of paused and said, the care was fabulous. Everything was outstanding. But my 92-year-old who's vaccinated, and we know Delta can be transmitted even vaccinated to vaccinated person or unvaccinated to vaccinated, it just made me feel uncomfortable. So how can you say, Jordan, you care about the health of the community and you're not requiring everyone to get the vaccination? So it's a fine balance and we're trying to do yeah. the best we can. Yeah, no, and it is, you know, I'd love to ask you too, if if you can share kind of just overall, and, and, then, and then I'll make my comment, but overall, what are you, what are you hearing seems to be the biggest reservation. So when your medical staff's going to meet with the department, that obviously is low vaccination. Are the reasons across the board very varying, different, personal, this, or is there seem to be a predominant, here's why I don't want to do it? Yeah, I think a couple key areas. One, concerns about infertility, perceptions around that issue. Number two, I already had COVID. Why do I need to get this? And the argument back is, and I'll be the first one to say, I'm not a clinician or not physician. So I always delegate this area of responsibility yeah. to the physician staff. Yeah. But it's the same with the flu. You know, we require the flu vaccination. Some people might get flu, let's say in August, but we require it in November. We never say, oh, you're not, you don't have to get the flu vaccination because you already had flu in September. It's just a booster. I think that's another area. And then unfortunately, the third aspect is more of an individual thought process on, I don't like organizations, the perception is overstepping bounds. Um, right. But we don't get that pushback for flu, but we get it for COVID-19. And I think the last aspect that the FDA hasn't officially come out, even though I know it's short in anticipation. So those are probably the four key areas. Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, that piece, I, I feel that that piece that says I either I had it or I feel, I don't feel vulnerable to it. I'm not a, I'm not a high risk person. So if I think if I'll get it, I can fight it. I do think that those things become 
from myself personally speaking, frustrating because the the science that you had mentioned, which is yes, but you could be carrying it and transmitting it to other people and not even know it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that part of it I get gets uh, I get is a, is a little frustrating. But you know, you they're, they're in most people's back of their mind, right? The concern also becomes is as we've all seen. The analogy I use once in a while is that, you know, when Roundup came out on the market, everybody was using it saying this is the greatest thing in the whole world, right? And now we know it's it's not. Yeah. And I guess, right, that's the concern. But again, my counter, my own counter argument, I'm going to debate myself here, Jordan. My only counter argument is we've had vaccination. And even though this technology, a lot of people say is new, it's it's not so new. And with the mRNA, but the thing we've had, you know, we've eradicated polio. We've almost eradicated so many diseases through the vaccination process that obviously we know that it, that it works. But we do live in an, in an age and a day where there's just information just everywhere. So yeah, I I know we have to get some more information around the vaccine too. We've had some episodes around it, and it's been helpful. But you know the fertility piece becomes an issue, and it's and and how do you and how do you find and and you know we're we're learning every day. Even the doc the doctors yeah. are learning what's new every day. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So any talk within the organization around booster? I mean, there's still no real clarity yet what the CDC is going to recommend or what the F. Well, the FDA is still approving the first batch, but you know, there's there is becoming some conversations around the fall, we're going to start seeing a booster. And we also hear some facilities are anticipating a fall spike, not even just Delta variant, just normal cold and flu season sort of rises. Have you guys uh, spoken about that at all? Yeah, I think twofold. One, maybe to take your latter question first. Yes, in particular around RSV, we've had an increase within the pediatric population for RSV, and frankly, even adults coming in with RSV. You know, the thought process, it's COVID, but tests and come back positive for RSV. So that's an area of concern we're anticipating. And unfortunately, even the past couple of weeks, we've been slowly going up as a census. The issue that compounds is, yeah, you might get one or two patients coming in COVID positive, but you have to remember all the patients that are still here. And so there's a compounding effect. And that's in addition to the heart attacks that unfortunately are coming in, the strokes, all the other medical conditions that are going on. So that's a challenge. And we're trying to proactively move in that direction, anticipate with travelers. I talked about international nurses are keen on coming here. And so we're trying to skate where the puck is going. But unfortunately, we're going to be real challenged if we have to surge to 120 patients again, and we'll have to reduce surgeries, which is scary for those community members who are counting on their surgical procedures to be done, anticipating that, want to get better, and we're having to put off care. That's always an area of concern. And now, and what, and tell us what any conversations around the booster? The booster, we look really, we have our physician COVID-19 physician executive committee actually every Monday. So today at noon, we'll meet with them and that is on the agenda to discuss and we'll just follow everything the CDC recommends. And we're blessed to still have the Dick's Sporting Good lease that we still have available to do mass vaccinations and other areas. So we will respond in accordance to the CDC guidelines. So kind of last thing here, wrapping up, speaking of the CDC, I'm not, again, trying not to get political, but there's, they've definitely come under some fire for not being timely, not being clear or anything like that. And uh, there's been some criticisms that that's politically motivated. I think, <laughs> I think 
I think who's going to win the World Series this year will be politically motivated. I think everything's becoming politically motivated. I agree. I agree. Are you guys still feeling strong that that is the best source of information for people, that the CDC guidelines are really is really the guidebook for us to follow? We do, and we realize it's fluid as well. And then we're blessed to have great physician leadership, with Dr. Anderson, the chief medical officer, and then Dr. Matwani, who's our local infectious disease provider. So between those two, looking at the CDC guidelines, infection prevention, working with our county health department, those are really the areas that we focus and follow. But I agree, it's fluid. Mask on, you don't need your mask, now mask back on. And we always try to take the most conservative approach because what's the downside of doing it, masking up? It, you know, everyone should be doing that. And now even in meetings, even if we've all been vaccinated, we all wear mm -hmm. a mask as yep. well. Yeah, where I, where, where I work, it's the same thing. We've gone back to it. We went away from it and it was okay if you were vaccinated. And yeah. now we've gone back to it because of the situation in meetings and around public areas. So yeah, it kind of just makes sense. So Jordan, thanks so much for your time. I mean, I think I mentioned to you, we always kind of close these recordings and the episodes with my favorite question, which is who is your hero? Whether it was growing up or currently or both, I said there's no wrong answer, but would you share with the listeners who was your hero and why? Yeah, I'd probably say two individuals, if I can be my hero, I'll combo both. One, my grandfather. I remember this, is my mom's dad. He lived in YMCA foster home. I uh, moved around with his mother, and I remember him telling me stories. He slept on the ground, and he, he joined the Navy to put himself through college and got his Ph.D. And, you know, if it wasn't for him and his tenacity to better himself with education, there's no way I would be here today doing what I'm doing. And then so blessed for that and all the sacrifices he made. And then also my dad. I learned a lot of management lessons from dad, emotional intelligence, how to deal with complex issues, take on approach communication and dad really drilled into me how to approach difficult issues. He worked in management as well within banking, pushed me to be better. And if it wasn't for my dad, I still remember traveling down to my interview at University of Alabama at Birmingham and I didn't have a suit and he let me borrow his and he got it all stitched up so I could go into interview and drove 12 hours straight, 12 hours back. And I just appreciate and thankful for all the sacrifices he did for not only myself, and my sisters. And so those two gentlemen have a lot to be thankful for. I, lo I love that. You know, yeah, we don't know how people influence our lives and the, the little things and the little gestures mean so much. So yeah. it's great. Hey, thanks for your time. I love the whole orange frog thing. I can't wait to get a hold of the <laughs> Happiness Advantage book. We'll throw a link out on the on the website for our listeners if they want to get it by Sean Akers. Uh, obviously, it is something you guys just grabbed the hold of and acculturated it which is a word I love to use, right? You made yeah. it part of the fabric of your organization. It became a common language, a common mantra. And and the proof is it, it carried you guys through some really difficult times, not only through a reduction of force and of economic challenges, but then obviously it prepared you guys perfectly for uh, the COVID crisis that we've all been dealing with. So I love that. Love the story. Love your passion about healthcare and just our I'm sure the people of Davenport are, are thrilled that you're there helping them out every day. Well, thank you, Ted. Appreciate it. And thanks for having me. I enjoyed the opportunity. Yeah, it was fun. We'll do it again. We'll, I always like to say, circle back and we'll, we'll start having some conversations again and check in and see how things go. Always want to keep the door open. Well, thank you. Thank you all. Thanks, Jordan. Bye. You've been listening to Heroes of Healthcare. For more, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit us at heroesofhealthcarepodcast.com.